As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yeah, does it sound pretty staticky? No, it's very clear. Am I framed up okay? Grabbing the vice president there for you. Hang on two seconds. Mr. Vice President, thank you so much for your time. Happy to be with you. Okay, well, we are ready to talk with you from Milwaukee. The headliner of Milwaukee's 2020 Democratic National Convention still won't say if he'll be here in person, but from his back porch in Delaware, former vice president and presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden talks one-on-one with Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvey. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hey, good morning, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, May 28th, 2020. And we are joined this morning by Fox 6 political reporter and podcast regular Jason Calvi. Hi, Jason. Great to be back. Thanks for having me on. Jason, you had essentially what amounted to a five or six minute interview with presidential candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden. How did that interview come about? Well, we had been asking for it uh, since the time he did, you know, was before he was planning that rally, this virtual rally from his home from his home. But he did a he did a virtual rally for the city of Milwaukee and he was 800 miles away in Delaware. Right. But uh, so we had started when that was announced, we had started preparing and, and asking for interviews because when a normal campaign comes to town ahead of time, you, you request an interview and there's time backstage usually or sometimes to do a one on one interview with the candidate or sometimes they pick one station in a market to do that interview. So we started asking for that when he was in town. And uh, then on Memorial Day, I was covering uh, the beach. Uh, I was covering the beach out in Pewaukee and I got a call from the Biden campaign and they said, hey, we want to do an interview with you on Wednesday. And then I got a call back later. Actually, we want to do the interview with you tomorrow on Tuesday. So uh, we had a, we had a, a few 12 hours notice or so and to get ready for that interview with uh, with the former vice president. And before we were getting started here, Jason, you said this was sort of uh, uh, couched as a Wisconsin exclusive. So you really got uh, some uh, fairly limited access to get this kind of a one on one interview with the presumptive nominee. That's right. Yeah. Wisconsin exclusive. The the Biden campaign that day was targeting some of the battleground states. So they did an interview with Fox six and they also did an interview with our one of our sister station Fox stations in Cleveland. And then they also did an interview in Detroit. So you can see they're really trying to get to those battleground states, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, and get on the airwaves. And they can do that by by granting these uh, interviews with the local TV stations. And he's able to do three states in one day in a matter of an hour, do three states and and uh, and get uh, get his message out to the people. Uh, but also, of course, we have the opportunity to question him and, and try to push back and, and see where he stands on various issues. What was your big takeaway from the interview, Jason? Well, I, I thought it was interesting that he did s- sort of lay out some proposals for a possible virtual convention. This has been the big question right now amidst the coronavirus pandemic, how in the world 
Are you going to have what was planned to be 50,000 people descending on the city of Milwaukee and the region for the for the Democratic National Convention? How in the world can that happen in the midst of social distancing, in the midst of this pandemic? But you are the leading voice for the Democratic Party right now on the national stage. Uh, what do you want to happen? Well, I would love to be able to be in a position where we're able to have the convention. I would love to be in a position where I'm going to be in Milwaukee. It may be that it ends up being a totally virtual campaign, or it may be you can have a relatively small, spaced-out group instead of 50,000, 5,000, and have events in other venues. I, I just don't know. It's too early to make that decision. But it has to be led by the docs and by the scientists as to what the most safest thing to do is. So originally, you remember that the Democrats actually postponed the convention. So originally, the convention was going to be in July. They postponed it just one month to August. And you remember that decision was made, what, at the beginning of April? And just days before that, the, the former vice president had been on a national television interview where he had said we may need to delay this this convention. He is the presumptive nominee. His, his campaign, he himself, has a strong role in the planning and, and what this convention is going to look like. Now, of course, it, it's under the leadership of the Democratic National Convention Committee and things like that. But he is the nominee. He he is the one who who's going to be on TV some one way or the other, giving his nomination acceptance speech. He's the one that's going to have to give that speech. And so he, yes, has a huge role. In, and you can see that where he days before this convention was originally postponed in August, he was weighing in and saying it may need to be postponed. So I think, yes, he will have a strong role in this decision. Of course, it is the, the Democratic National Committee has uh, the Rules Committee has a, a pr- approved a proposal to give the power to the local this uh, this convention committee to make a decision about what to do with the convention. Now that still needs to be approved by the entire membership of the DNC, and that vote is outstanding right now. But again, that means it's going to be made by a small committee, the convention committee, and I'm assuming that the vice president will have a strong say in that. Now he always defers to the medical experts. We heard Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday, he did an interview, uh, a cable news interview, where he said it's too early to make that decision about whether to cancel the convention. So if you're looking at the medical experts right now, the top medical expert on issues of pandemic, uh, of, of the issues of the pandemic, Dr. Anthony Fauci says it's too early to decide whether to cancel this convention. Which, of course, doesn't help Milwaukee when it comes to planning purposes. It doesn't help them. And we've already seen CNN, a big, big broadcasting group, renting out the Turner Hall. They've recently uh, rescinded that uh, that contract. And so they're not going to be renting out that huge Turner Hall uh, right across from Pfizer Forum. I know that there's been a lot of discussion about leadership as it relates to mask wearing. The example that our leaders are sending, namely that Trump isn't wearing a mask and Biden is. And you asked him about that. What what did you take away from his response? It was the this this interview with with vice former Vice President Biden was on Tuesday after Memorial Day. And there was this famous picture or, you know, you saw the pictures of the vice, former vice president going and laying a wreath and he was wearing a mask. Him and his wife, uh, Dr. Jill Biden, were wearing masks. And uh, he made a point of, of bringing that up in, in the interview. The whole idea about Donald Trump being out and not wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. And when's Biden going to get out of his basement? If you notice, it hadn't helped him very much. You know, 
he thinks when he's wearing a mask, he's looking weak. So he even during the interview, he was uh, he was holding he was holding a, another mask uh, in his hands. And at some p- points during the interview, he would he would raise that hand up and uh, you'd see the mask there. So he uh, he says when he goes out in public, he wears the mask. And this was one of the this was the first time really we've seen him out. Um, he, he's been staying in his house. He's been doing all these campaign events, fundraisers, rallies, all these interviews he's been doing from his home. One of the things I noticed about that that moment uh, in the interview, Jason, is that he said, if you've noticed, it hasn't helped him much, referring to President Trump being out without a mask on. And what struck me is, not that we would be surprised that campaigns would be watching how things play, but clearly they're watching how this plays, because one of the real contrasts right now is you have the president showing sort of no fear of this, no mask, we don't need, you know, we can be out and about, we want to have an in-person convention while you have uh, Vice President Biden suggesting this likely virtual or, or, or hybrid type convention, he's wearing the mask. He says, if you've noticed it hasn't helped him much, they're watching closely, obviously, to see how this plays, not just now, but I imagine this is something they're going to be watching over the next several weeks and months as we get closer to the election and more of the country has opened up and we get farther away from the original peak of the pandemic. How will this continue to play? Could that influence how how he conducts his campaign going forward right and and you see how this issue just of the some, something as simple as the wearing of a mask can be politicized right you, you know you see sometimes on uh, some of the conservative uh, comment uh, websites where people will share memes that uh, depict the mask as a muzzle and uh, so I, is this a is this a political issue is this you know wearing of the mask sort of virtue signaling um, you know that dr. Anthony fauci again says when he goes out in public he wears the mask that's that's the recommendation of, of somebody like dr. fauci so that's what Biden is is doing here in public uh, but there was pushback on on his wearing the mask he says well he doesn't wear the mask in his house um, he's going out in public and he's far away from all of the all the people except his wife in those pictures you can see so people were asking why was he wearing the mask well he he again says it's also you know leadership what he's doing to 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 be wearing that mask biden of course has been very critical of president trump's response to coronavirus and in his interview with you he laid out what his plan would be so how does the biden plan differ from the trump plan so the Biden plan, he is bringing up several several proposals, and I think the proposals will continue to come out um, in, in the coming weeks for 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 additional steps that the Biden the, a potential future Biden administration would put into place if you know he's elected president this fall. Um, but one of the things he's talking about is that money to the small businesses. These are those PPP loans that we've covered here on the podcast as well as on Fox 6 News. Um, the, the Paycheck Protection Program, which uh, gives, you know, through the Small Business Administration, and it's supposed to go give small businesses uh, money to help them uh, if they keep people on payroll, it will help them either pay the payroll or pay for mortgages, rent, uh, utilities, things like that uh, if they kept people on the payroll. So those, there's been controversy, as we've talked about on here, about some of those loans going to big organizations as well as big companies, um, and some of that money has been turned back. Um, but, uh, but Biden, you know, 
former Vice President Joe Biden really wants to hammer the administration and say that was a failure that some of this money went to uh, went to some of these some of these large companies. Now, I didn't get a chance to push back on this issue because of the nature of having only five minutes. But it is interesting. One of the groups that really supports has supported uh, Joe Biden in the past is Planned Parenthood. And there's been a lot of issue right now, at least in Washington, D.C., among Republicans, including Senator Marco Rubio, about the fact that Planned Parenthood affiliates were able to receive some of these small business administration loans, these uh, PPP loans, which, as you know, are forgivable if if the employer keeps people on the payroll, then that grant, that money becomes a grant and, and the company does not need to pay it back. He made mention also of fully uh, funded 100 percent federal government funded COBRA benefits. I can imagine with so many people being uh, placed on the uh, unemployment rolls now, there's a lot of people who have lost health insurance or, or uh, may struggle to get health insurance going forward. He seemed to suggest that until those people are back on their feet, they should get federally funded uh, health care coverage. Right. And so that would be an issue where how is that going to get through? How is that going to get through the Senate, which is Republican led, uh, when there's a lot of worries now among Republicans about the price tag on all of this? I mean, you know, we're talking about trillions of dollars. The, the latest House bill that passed the House uh, was was three trillion, and that would extend these uh, unemployment, the federal unemployment benefits. That's a six hundred dollar add on to the state. Uh, unemployment benefits. Uh, they wanted to extend that through January, and Republicans are like, "Well, we we can't do this. This is going on too far, and, and too we're spending too much money." So, is the Senate going to, you know, is the Senate going to approve a proposal to federally fund Cobra? I mean, is that going to happen? I, I don't think so. But again, the, there, there's a lot of questions right now if, if the Senate will be um, up for grabs, right? Uh, Republicans have a majority right now, but uh, there's several states where Republicans have incumbent senators up that are battleground states. And so there is a question now if Democrats might be able to flip control and take over the United States Senate, which would allow if Vice President Biden is elected president, former vice president, if he's elected president, then can he then push some of these agenda items forward. That is the real question. And I think that's why we're going to see a lot of emphasis on states like uh, Georgia and and others that have uh, have elections coming up. Obviously, coronavirus is at the front of what people are thinking about. But Jason, you also had a chance to ask uh, Vice President Biden about whether he's taking the African-American vote for granted, especially after some uh, controversial remarks he's recently made. That's right. He was on a radio program, uh, uh, which is popular um, among African-Americans, a national radio program, The Breakfast Club. And on that program at the end of the interview, and it was uh, a feisty interview, you could say. And uh, at the end of that uh, interview, uh, the former vice president says, if you had a problem, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. And uh, that was that was condemned by many people, um, even even, uh, for example, Jesse Jackson weighing in on that and others weighing in to, to condemn that. And also you saw Republicans condemning that, saying, well, 1.3 million uh, African-Americans voted for President Trump in 2016. So uh, this is taking the African-American vote for granted. And and the former vice president, when I asked him about that and brought that up, he he, he apologized. Well, I shouldn't have been so cavalier of that. If you, if, if you watch that event, I was smiling when he was going after me, making a point that uh, and it was wrong of me to do it. I've never taken the African-American vote for granted. In fact, uh, I, I, you know, I know in order to win the presidency, I needed to earn African-American votes. I was 
It was critical in my victory in the primary. I come from a state that is the eighth largest African-American population in the United States of America, and I've always gotten overwhelming support because I've never, never taken it for granted. The reason I brought this up, you know, it's a local interview we're talking about Wisconsin issues, is because if you look at the polling data, if you look at who who voted and who didn't vote in 2016, uh, Milwaukee had 40,000 less people vote in 2016. And, and we talked to people. We've gone to barbershops and other places talking to people about, well, why why didn't you vote? And they, they just didn't. Some of the people didn't feel their vote was going to count. Others weren't enthusiastic about the candidate at that time, Hillary Clinton. Um, and so there's really been a question about how is the African-American vote going to turn out in 2020 if this state of Wisconsin was won by President Trump by 23,000 votes and Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, had 40,000 fewer people vote in 2016. I mean, that could really turn the election around if many of those people do end up voting for Joe Biden. So is he taking this Is he taking this important demographic group in the city of Milwaukee for granted? He says he's not. He's going to be campaigning. He's going to try to win every single vote. And of course, every single vote is going to count in this key battleground state. Well, and actually, you raise an interesting point here, Jason, because I think a lot of people might look at that and say, yeah, well, if you compare Vice President Biden to President Trump, I mean, clearly the African-American vote is more likely to uh, to go toward uh, Vice President Biden. But this isn't a question of will they flip and go vote for, for President Trump in November. The question is, will they come out at all? Will the voting base be energized? Will Or will they say, you know what, I've heard some of the comments this guy's made. I'm not going to bother. That's really what that's about, right, is whether or not if you take a certain segment of the population for granted, will they just not show up at all? Exactly. And that's why I think you saw him in this interview really trying to you know say I had I made a mistake this was a cavalier reaction to sort of a cavalier interview here and I think you know he really wanted to make it clear that that he is not going to take this group for granted he's not going to take any voter for granted and and you saw the Trump campaign uh back before pre-COVID-19 they they were actually doing political events they had one in Milwaukee uh African or blacks for Trump I think is what it was called at the time uh, so you can see and they set up a, a, a field office uh, one of the one of the RNC, one of the Trump campaign offices, right in the middle of Bronzeville, which is a heavily African American community. And when you look at the poll data, again, uh, who, who voted, who didn't in 2016, the districts of, in the city of Milwaukee that had the worst voter turnout were the the, pop, the areas with the highest African American population. So there is really a correlation here with the, the 40,000 less who didn't show up heavily in those African American neighborhoods. And Biden's trying to drum up that support in a very different way now because of the pandemic. We talked a little bit at the beginning of the episode about how different this interview was than uh, you usually would have for a sit down with a presidential candidate with a presumptive nominee. So what do you think the campaign looks like going forward? Is this all going to be from Biden's porch in his basement? He promised to come to Milwaukee. He promised that we would see him in person. I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, if if the curve really starts you know, going down and down more, um, maybe we'll see him. Maybe I mean that maybe they will have some sort of in person convention, as he said in our, in our interview. He said, "Well, maybe the convention will be five thousand people at several venues, right? Maybe maybe you know that's what Speaker Pelosi had proposed was having a big, huge stadium where the delegates were six feet apart." So. A lot of questions still, but he says, listen, he's reaching people through these videos. Over 160 million people as of the start of today have watched us on video uh, throughout this, uh, this since the pandemic is underway. But you can communicate with people 
other than in person. I'd much rather be in person now. And again, he's able to hit various battleground states in one day if he was traveling by plane or train he may be able to visit one or two but now he can visit three in the same day in in detroit and in cleveland and wisconsin and do those interviews on tuesday well there there were there's certainly been some people on uh the 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 democrat side some uh uh, liberal leaning writers who have written and encouraged him to run what they called a porch campaign and have said that could actually be a, a very effective type of campaign in this time, he made that reference to having 160 million people having watched. He said, "Have they've watched us since the pandemic was underway?" So they're looking at those numbers. Is there a possibility that that could be where this goes? They decide we run a, a so-called porch campaign and sort of make that a theme that we can communicate right where we are. We don't need to travel the country. Or is that is that a risk? I mean, is that a big decision you have to make that says we're going to sit tight and and do our campaign from here rather than coming? where candidates have traditionally gone, they've they've visited as many states as possible, particularly battleground states in person as often as possible. Well, and Hillary Clinton uh, got a lot of flack for the states she did not visit after her loss. Absolutely. Right. Including right here in Wisconsin. She did not visit during the general election matchup with President Trump. She did not visit Wisconsin. And so there was definitely a lot of anger. uh, And, and, you know, that was, I think, partially why Democrats ended up picking Milwaukee as their convention site to say we are not going to take that state for granted. You know, we are going to invest in that state and we Democrats want to win this state, obviously. And so they're not going to take this for granted. Now, as far as that porch campaign and whether or not it, it's going to be successful, it's a gamble. It's it, this we're in uncharted territory now. Um, but we've seen how you know President Trump has been able to harness social media, Twitter and things like that to, to grow his base. Um, so Joe Biden's got 160 million people watching his videos. I mean, yeah, maybe they're able to tap into that and do these more personal uh, town hall meetings and things per with each city and each state and, and do these rallies. It's a gamble. But again, he can he can say it's his leadership to to keep everyone safe, to have these sort of events in public. And so he can he can hit North Carolina, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, Texas, all of these states that uh, he's going to want to campaign in. Jason, it's not often that you get to have a one on one interview with a candidate for president of the United States, the presumptive nominee from one of the parties. But even when you do, the time is limited. You only had a few minutes to ask some of these questions. If you'd had more time. Are there other questions that were right there on the cutoff list that you wish you would have had time? <laughs> do we ask? have? Do we, how much time do we have for that answer? <laughs> <laughs> start listing them, Jason. All right, what, uh, yeah. What, what are your What are your top few? Well, okay. So I think one of the things I, I wanted to talk about was unemployment. That is the issue that you all of us have have received so many calls about Fox Six has been flooded with calls and messages, and I have as well personally, with people asking where are unemployment benefits. The 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 federal six hundred dollar add on to those benefits expires at the uh, toward the end of July uh, in the state of Wisconsin. So what's going to happen when we go back down to people only getting three hundred and seventy dollars? That's the max in the state of Wisconsin. What is going to happen when that money runs out? I mean, what's going to happen when these PPP uh, those are the, the those small business loans. When those when the time clock on that runs out, that 
they the, the businesses had to have people on the clock for a certain amount of time and that clock is going to run out what's going to happen then are these are these all these companies going to lay people off i mean there's so many questions that i would have loved to have talked to him about uh, including unemployment benefits and what he sees should happen with with the with the additional 600 hours from the federal level should that ex- extend out through the year like the democrats had proposed in the house their their bill that passed would have extended out that 600 hours through january but there is new research also from the university of chicago that shows uh that uh, people were actually making uh, more money than they were making at their at their jobs. So there there is there was worries and there are worries. Are people uh, not getting the incentive to go back to work? So uh, if you look at the University of Chicago study, it found two thirds of those who were eligible for unemployment insurance could receive benefits more than their income. So that's two thirds, and one fifth would receive twice as large. Uh, of uh, unemployment benefits as they did with their lost earnings. So, And of course, the system is designed, at least in theory, so that if you refuse going back to work, you don't continue to get your unemployment benefits. Uh, right. So you have some people who are kind of caught up in what happens next. Exactly. So definitely wanted to ask him about that and, and whether or not this is incentivizing people to stay out of work when we've got record levels of or not record levels, but we've seen the worst unemployment here in Wisconsin since the Great Depression. It's at 14 percent for the month of April. That number is going to be higher when we get those numbers for May. Um, so is this incentivizing people not to go back to work? I, I would have wanted to ask the vice president about uh, Tara Reid because at the same the same day, uh, Representative Ilhan Omar from Minnesota had said uh, that she actually believed Tara Reid's al- assault allegations against Vice President Biden. If you look at the most recent Quinnipiac poll, it was uh, even split. 28% believed Vice President Biden, 28% believed Tara Reid, and then the rest of the group, that's a large number of people, either didn't know, they didn't know enough information, or they were, they were undecided. So again, I think that's still an issue that you're seeing Republicans, including Scott Walker, former governor of Wisconsin, recently pushing back when we had a phone uh, conference call with him. He, he said, hey, you know, I don't know if the vice president's, former vice president's telling the truth here, but I think it's worthwhile to ask him about it. So I think you're going to see that Republicans are going to bring this question up about uh, about the uh, the allegation brought up by uh, by Reed. Well, Jason, uh, you know, I'm sure you could probably go on and on with a list of questions you would have asked had you had unlimited time, but we appreciate you uh, giving us a little more of a debrief on the questions you were able to ask in the time you had and uh, and you know, appreciate uh, just the insight because uh, even in, in just a five minute interview, you get an awful lot out of out of a handful of questions, um, and, and uh, I'm sure you'll continue to cover this going forward. I heard, I know, at the end, you uh, you said if he comes to Wisconsin, you said, you know, we'd love to do an interview with you in person. I imagine you're hoping to get that opportunity if that time comes. I hope so, either at the convention or before or after. This is a key state. We expect those candidates and the surrogates to be flooding the state whenever it's time, whenever it's safe to do so. Thanks, Jason. Thanks again, Jason. So we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Records. We cover the COVID-19 pandemic. We are recording episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That is T-H-E, investigators at fox6now.com. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. Thanks for listening to Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and for Brian Polson, we will be back on Tuesday. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.